Hi everybody, Pete Chianka here with Dave London for the latest episode of Strip Search, the comic strip podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. How are you, Dave? I'm doing well, thanks, Pete. You're doing well despite what happened on Sunday. We're, we are here in Boston, where they're uh, otherwise known as Patriots Nation. You know, I, I, I am a huge Patriots fan. I've been a fan since they were, you know, 1 in 15. And i got to say, we have five Super Bowl wins. I give all the props to Philly. They played a great game, and they've never won a Super Bowl, so I, I have no, you know... We don't need to be greedy. We, we can have another city uh, beat us. I, I completely disagree. <laughs> they should have stopped them into the ground. No, I'm just I'm speaking for my 16 year old son, who you know even he was was reasonable about this loss. I think uh, I think he would have been very upset last year um, when it looked like they were going to be creamed. Um, but I think this year he, he I, I, the football gods I think gave us the uh, the 25 point comeback. I think we uh, yeah yeah. So, um, so we're getting, getting, getting over it. But the interesting connection to our guest today, um, Sage Stossel, who was a terrific Boston area cartoonist and illustrator, um, and one of, of many things she does, one of them um, is a series of books called On the Loose, which features her very elaborate uh, illustrations of cities, including Boston and Philadelphia. So she has a nice, a nice Super Bowl tie-in, you might say. So we she will. also has Washington, D.C., but I don't think the Redskins are going anywhere. <laughs> no, they might change their name. Let's well, see. Um, so we will be talking to her in a few minutes, but first, uh, a couple of things we wanted to mention. First, I, we like to mention every week about uh, one of our partners in crime, uh, Comic Strip Cartoonist Magazine, which is uh, a magazine that you can subscribe to to have delivered digitally or uh, look it up on the web. Great, great resource for cartoonists, but also if you just like cartoons or cartoonists, um, it, it's really one of the few publications out there really devoted to the to the craft. And if you go to our website, petpeevescomic.com slash podcast, you will find um, a link to that magazine and other information about it and about cartooning in general. So, And we also have uh, some other events coming up. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, so um, on Saturday, April 28th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., the uh, Boston Kids Comic Fest is going to be held. It's uh, going to be in Jamaica Plain, 84 Wachusett Street. Uh, so there's all kinds of information on the uh, uh, online that you can read about it. But uh, their, their website, I believe, is... Uh, bostonkidscomicfest.wordpress.com and uh, the plan is for us to be there and actually do a podcast from the comic That is true, that is true. We even bought a new microphone just, <laughs> just for the occasion. Um, and we're, gonna, we're, we're hoping to Facebook Live it, we're going to tape it for, uh, for our April podcast. Um, I'm told there's going to be some special guests there, which I, I can't reveal who, but uh, I think that'll be sort of a but cool thing. they will be alive, so they're not dead people. No, <laughs> no, they were actual, actual real life guests. Um, and you were just at another, another one of these. I was. So in the, in the town of Maynard, Mass., which is uh, roughly 15, 20 miles uh, west of Boston, the Maynard Public Library on January 27th, they had uh, the Maynard Comic Convention. I think it was their second one. And uh, relatively small, but I took the uh, kids. They had a great time. So the part that we... Your kids are just... Uh, just random kids I found on the street. I said, hey, hey, come on. <laughs> I, I did. I took my. You're like that the, the the guy with the the net in uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang you know, in the back here. When I was a kid, that guy scared. Uh, oh yeah, he was horrible. Uh, and so, anyways, it was a full day fair, but I only went for part of it. I actually took uh, my my boys to. Uh, there was a talk by uh, two 
uh, local illustrators, uh, Shelley uh, Paroline and Braden Lamb, their husband and wife. I, I didn't actually go up and introduce myself again. I was just playing, uh, you know, dad there, and I kind of hung in the background and let the kids uh, do it. But they, they uh, are known, among other things, for Adventure Time comics, which is a, a big... Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, comic series, and uh, so they illustrate that. And they have some uh, graphic novels out and some samples there. Uh, but what they were doing with the kids is they were running a um, sort of a, an instruction on how to set up stories and um, storyboards and drawing characters. And they made a lot of fun for the kids. And it was very, very much kid oriented. So um, uh, basically, a workshop. And then they also had a couple of folks with tables selling different wares, including one of the organizers for the uh, Boston Kids Comic Convention. Uh, a uh, guy who runs a uh, comic book store at Harvard Square. Oh, nice. So uh, my kids found some uh, graphic novels they liked. We purchased them, so the kids had a, a great time. Well, you, you have to buy something. Well, they did. Actually, uh, so my, my middle son is into these uh, the graphic novels about uh, Greek gods, you know, uh, uh, Hermes. And the three most important people in Greece. <laughs> that, that'll be for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's an inside joke that no one knows what the heck they're talking about. Kanicki? <laughs> Since Caesar is the gym coach. You have to set that up with a, where that came from. You're gonna, this, is, this, is, uh, this was our, uh, when, when Dave and I, back in our college days, took a, a course on Greek history, we had to do a paper on the three most important people in Greece. So, of course, we handed one in under a pseudonym picking Kadiki, Rizzo, and... Sid Caesar, Sid Caesar is the gym coach. coach. And if you grew up in the 70s, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> so anyway, there's a series, and I, I, I should have bought the book with me. I can't think of the author's name. I'll have to look it up. But he does uh, graphic novels about the Zeus, Hermes, Hera, so on and so forth. And uh, so the newest one is Hermes. And, uh, um, I forget if it's the Greek or the Roman version. I think it's the Greek version of Hermes. Um, and so we got that for my middle Cool. Excellent. No, there's a, there's a ton of these out there. It's, it's amazing. Uh, how many seem to be popping up and uh, you know if you're looking for something to do with your kids we'll be at the one in april so that makes it the best one ever exactly all right well we are going to take a very quick commercial break and when we return sage stossel will be here we'll be right back Okay, we're back, and we're very excited to be talking to uh, to our guest this week. Um, you've seen her work in the Atlantic Monthly online, and in the Boston Globe, and in her series of On the Loose books, um, or in Copy Editor magazine. If you happen to be a copy editor, we have a few a few here. Oh. Um, it's, it's kind of a dying art, but yeah, uh, <laughs> but they're still out there. Uh, still welcome watching. to Sage Stossel. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We may have to give you a copy editing test later. I have one oh. line right here somewhere. <laughs> I'm just the cartoonist. I don't presume <laughs> to do any of the copy editing. Surely the you must actually get copy edited by the copy editors. <laughs> Surely it must have rubbed off a little bit. <laughs> I do. I do try to, when I send my emails to my editor. I always try to be very careful. I'm very nervous. Yes. Oh, copy editors. You don't. You don't want to get on their bad side. <laughs> no. Yes. I've learned a lot doing the copy editing cartoons. <laughs> I bet. I bet. That immediately, as a, as a newspaper guy from way back, that immediately jumped out at me. Um, but we we wanted to talk just sort of about, uh, you know, what your your career in cartooning and how you started. And um, it just you, you have a really wide variety of stuff that, that you've done and that you work on. And um, and I know you now you started way back in at uh, Harvard. You actually did a strip yeah. um, called Jody. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah, so, um, let's see, I started that, I was, 
about to, I was getting ready to start college and I was very nervous. And I hadn't really done cartoons particularly before going to college, but I uh, happened to make a birthday card for my brother um, in the month or so before college was supposed to start. And it was like, I did, I put all my nerves into like this picture of like, this is going to be me in college and like all these horrible things happening and me embarrassing myself in the dining hall and that kind of thing. And he seemed to get a kick out of it um, more than whatever present I had given him to accompany the card. And um, there was still some time before college started. So then I did another one, like this is also going to be me. And then I did another, um, seemed to get a, be following along, getting a kick out of it. So um, when I got to college, then I ended up turning it into a comic strip, which ran um, once a week in the newspaper. And that's really what got me hooked on cartooning. Like I, um, to, like, I liked to draw as a kid, but, um, and I, I had a grandmother who was an illustrator, uh, who's a children's book illustrator. And so I kind of idolized her um, when I was really little. And uh, she always said, you know, she was, she was kind of a difficult lady. And, uh, she always said, you know, don't become an artist. Don't follow in my footsteps. You'll never make any money, which was not bad advice. <laughs> but um, at the time that she died, I had um, just read this series of books that sat in a hospital. And so I was telling everybody that I was going to be a surgeon. So she, she died very happy. <laughs> She's up there thinking that I'm doing like fancy, well remunerated things in the operating room. Um, but I think, I think my first cartooning experience was... Um, in junior high school, um, when I was had just started junior high school, and I did not like it at all, as many people don't. And you didn't like cartooning, or you didn't like junior high? I didn't like junior high, <laughs> um, and I would complain at home, and then um, to try and cheer me up, my dad would regale me with stories of his own miserable junior high experiences at Howard Junior High in Illinois, where he went to school. And so, when his birthday came that year, I took it into my head that. Um, the present that I wanted to give him was I made him this comic book that was like a day and kind of crazy made up day in the life of him back in that era incorporating all the horrible details that he had told me about um, it was Fast Times at Howard Junior High starring Tommy Stossel and um, he was so enthusiastic about that that it kind of made a big impression on me so he was always saying you know when are you going to do more cartoons you should do more comics so um, that, I would kind of do it occasionally just like for the family um through high school and then kind of, that's what it ended up turning into me doing the strip in college and were, were you surprised when people would have a reaction to it people you didn't know would come out and say hey yes the, um, the strip um, that, that I think that's what got me hooked on cartooning more than anything was uh, I was very shy and retiring and so I was like I wasn't getting out a whole lot in uh, campus but I would send the strip out every week it was kind of semi-autobiographical um, and that it started to catch on and people liked it and it got to be the point where you know I would go and I would meet people on campus and they'd say oh you do Jody and they would ask what was going to happen and they would tell me who their favorite character was or they would say oh I had a dream where this character did this or that and that was just kind of blew my mind that <laughs> they had any thoughts at all about this thing that I was doing you know <laughs> off in my room um, and Occasionally, would you know, it was it was made up, but a little bit drawn from life. And then occasionally, people would say, like, "I know that character is about me." And <laughs> it really wasn't. Um, so yeah, you can kind of learn the politics of it. And um, I would definitely stress out a lot, like I still do, about coming up with ideas. And you know, not every not not everyone can be a home run. And so I was very um, kind of like 
thin-skinned about it, so I would go run around the day that, that the my issue of the paper would come out. I would, like, steal the papers from my hall. Cause I was, <laughs> otherwise, like, if I came out in the morning, someone might say, like, oh, good Judy this week. And then if they didn't say it, I'd be thinking, oh, they hated it. But if I just took the paper, I, I would know it was they hadn't seen it, and I wouldn't have to worry about it. <laughs> so... Probably not the best attitude to have for going into a cartooning career where you have to deal with a lot of rejection and uh, people having all sorts of crazy feedback on things. I see you running around buying up all the Boston Globes now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that would probably help them them out. Yeah, it couldn't hurt. (laughs) Right. It couldn't hurt. Now, at some point during during that experience at college, is that when you start thinking, you know, I might be able to actually do some of this professionally? Or was it more of a, a, well, I know I'll do this when I'm in college, but you weren't necessarily thinking about the future? Um, I think a little, I mean, I was sort of, I kind of, like I got the bug and then, you know, of course, then I was, you know, back at the time, back in the olden days, it was like, oh, strips were king and the newspapers were flourishing. And so I thought, oh, this, this strip is, is well-received. I'm going to turn it into like a syndication. You know, of course, you know, Dunesbury is like the holy grail of like how he came out of college yep. and became a fixture and all that um, and so periodically over the years I would like gather up my stuff and try to send it off and um, I actually you know I, I ended up to the point where I would be like communicating with people at the syndicates sometimes and there was like one woman um, Amy Lago I can't, she bounced around with different syndicates and um, I don't know which one she was with at the time, but it was one of the big ones, and she was being really helpful, and she would send it back with, like, sticky notes on, like, things to change, and it got, it got as far as her taking it to the marketing department and then saying, like, oh, they think it's, you know, too similar to other strips that we have, so um, that that ended there, but... Um, this sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, like, there's so many... This isn't about us. <laughs> I did listen to you guys' first podcast about here, and they, 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 you had the phone call with, with Gary Trudeau. That was <laughs> quite a story. I would have been, been tongue-tied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was our closest brush with cartoonic greatest. Yes, that's... Um, but yeah, so so I did, I did hope to continue with it, and then uh, I ended up... Uh, you know, I, I didn't have illusions that I was, you know, having it work out so that I was about to just go on to do cartooning right out of college. So I ended up um, getting this entry-level position at the Atlantic website, which was brand new at the time. So it was um, kind of a good, lucky time to be there because uh, the web staff was all really young and we were just figuring everything out. Um, and they were kind of looking to see, like, what can we do ourselves and on the cheap. And so I piped up and said, well, I used to do a cartoon. Would you maybe have an interest in um, cartoons of some sort? So I pitched doing current events cartoons because that seemed appropriate for that venue. Um, and they said, sure. And that kind of uh, got things going with my... Now, second phase. Now, right from the beginning, were they political in nature, the stuff you were doing for the Atlantic? Or, or more, you know, more gag cartoons? It was a little bit of a hybrid. Um, they were definitely, it was current events. I sort of knew that, okay, I'm doing it for the Atlantic. Uh, it should be on, you know, big picture of things going on in the world kind of issues. Um, but my take on it was sort of um, whimsical. It wasn't sort of pointed, like coming down on hard on one side or the other. Um, so, I think when I first started out, my idea was sort of like, um, almost 
what I thought of probably wasn't what I was actually succeeding in doing, but it was like sort of New Yorker as as whimsical takes on things going on in the world. So maybe like more topical and timely than what a New Yorker cartoon would be. But um, that you know, a lot of times right now the New Yorker cartoons are actually pretty political. <laughs> but um, yeah, pretty topical. Yes, too. That too. Um, yeah, so it was, it was definitely sort of more whimsical and sort of like a little bit of a remove, I would say. And would you say that you've gotten more pointed? Because it feels like, just looking at your, your recent stuff uh, in the current administration, <laughs> um, it, it's, a, it's an interesting almost dichotomy because it's, the you know, you use sort of the, the, these watercolors. It's almost, it's sort of a non-threatening style. It could almost be a children's book style. But then mm-hmm. the... the Cartoons are very pointed. I found um, the recent stuff. You know, you have the you know, like the pregnant woman, you know, washing the floors to earn her, you know, her Medicare, you know, and you know, it, I mean, it's just very. Uh, it, it does have an edge, a little bit of an edge to it. Um, well, I, I would say I, so. Um, I kind of like I got involved in other projects and sort of um, tapered off. I've sort of stayed on top of doing the the steady stream of political cartoons for a while, and then. Um, then when I got back into it, um, it happened to coincide with the uh, Donald Trump candidacy mm-hmm. and then his rise to power, and uh, it definitely seemed like not sort of pulling punches or not being a little bit more pointed uh, was kind of missing an important opportunity to <laughs> yeah. try to do do my little part. Um, not that it obviously does anything like so little does anything well, these I days would, but you never know that. hopefully i think <laughs> yeah. it's important to, uh to be remembered as having been on the right side of history <laughs> when, when this is all tallied right, yeah. at some point down the road so <laughs> that's how i feel about it right i feel even yeah things like you know just watching stephen colbert or something it's kind of like <laughs> at the end of the day you just need to see somebody like hitting hard and being funny about stuff when you feel like you've been a little battered by the news exactly so exactly trying to do things in that vein i guess and, the, and for the stuff that you've been doing for the Globe, that's more of a, um, it's, I don't know, how, why, why don't you say who would describe it? Because it's a really sort of unusual combination of text and, and cartoon, and they give you a lot of space to do it. It's, it's very cool. Yeah, it's kind of like a word picture essay almost. And um, it's a little bit, uh, well, it's interesting how that came about that I do that. It was actually, um, I had been at The Atlantic uh, for a little while, and I was doing a certain amount of editing and coding and all sorts of things. And I thought, oh, I should, I should really be trying to try my hand more at writing. And um, somebody that I had used to work with had gone on to the Globe, and someone said, oh, why don't you pitch a piece to them about this cartoon convention that I had been talking about going to? And so I did, and I got this assignment to write a piece about covering this cartoon convention. Um, and then when I went... The piece was due pretty much right when I got back, and um, it was one like you know. So there have been so many panels and interesting people and everything that I got done back. I had to write the piece, and it was just like I didn't have any idea like where I was going with it. So I just started basically typing like, okay, maybe the editor can help pick something out of this brain dump that I'm doing. And then you know, no, there was nothing salvageable in it, um, and I kind of just wanted to be put out of my misery. Like, oh well, you tried, but. One of the other editors said, well, you know, she's a cartoonist and she went to this cartoon convention. Like, what if she did it as a cartoon? And I thought, well, all right, I'll 
I'll try. And then when I did it that way, it kind of fell into place. So I did it with multiple panels, kind of walking you through, um, you know, some things that had been discussed and things that had taken place and, uh, you know, leading to some sort of little summing up panel at the end. Um, and when I did it, uh, it was well received and they said, oh, uh, Marty Barron came by our office and commended us on our creative covering of this <laughs> cartoon event. So then they were excited about this, and I was excited that I could actually like set out to do this on purpose instead of just, like fall back when I fail at trying to do something else. So then I, after that, I started trying to keep my eye open for you know things that I could maybe try and cover, like with words and pictures. And, um, so do they send you out, or do you come up with ideas, or how does it work? Um, mostly, I come up with ideas. Um, Occasionally over the years, they might say, like, oh, do you have anything on this topic or that topic? But um, mostly it's just, like, things I stumble across or things that I think of that might, might lend themselves to that kind of coverage. And do you have a set periodic time at which you're going to have your cartoon in the globe? Or how's that work? Well, it's changed over the years. Um, in the old days, um, it was pretty much just, you know, I would I would stumble across something or an idea would occur to me and I would execute it and then I would say, like, what do you think of this? And they'd either say yes or no. Um, more recently, it's been a little bit more on a schedule, um, which I find more nerve-wracking because, like, I feel like the idea is there or it's not. I find it very stressful, <laughs> like, to kind of pull something together just because it's my turn. But um, Of course, so. deadlines can be a great motivator. <laughs> right. And the other, yeah, I mean, there have been times when, like, I've been coming up empty and then... An idea did occur to me because I was trying, and it never would have happened if it hadn't been like my turn to be kind of tearing my hair out and seeing what I could come up with. Other times, I'm like, eh, well, I did that because <laughs> it was my turn. But um, yeah. And sometimes you've even done interviews, right? Interviews with people, and you sort of turn the interview into a. I know I saw one with oh, uh, Spiegelman, which was, which yes, was really good. Yes, that one was assigned um, by, by a different section, actually. But yeah, he was coming to town, and they asked if I would do it uh, as either just a straight up interview or as a in cartoon form. So I did the interview and I first was like, oh, this isn't going to work. But then I was like, oh, I see how I could kind of illustrate it. Kind of, yeah, I was happy with that. That was, that was kind of a neat opportunity. Yeah, I bet he was an interesting uh, person to talk to. This is how we're yeah. talking about Art Spiegelman who uh, did uh, the mouse graphic novels in the, in the 80s that sort of turned everything around for the, for the graphic novel in terms of making it more of a literary, uh, accepted literary form, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. And you've done one of those, too. You have a graphic novel to your credit. I did do a graphic novel, yes. that, was, that was a lot of manual labor, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> the closest I ever got to having carpal tunnel syndrome. So let's talk a little bit about the materials. You've talked about all the different forms that you're published in, the books, the newspapers, and so on. What do you use to create the cartoons? Uh, let's see. I use um, uh, Micron pen and Uniball ruler pen, which is probably not really considered an art pen. Um, and then... Whatever works, though, right? Well, right. It's, they're, they're easy to get hold of, and they, they work for me. They don't smudge so much, and um, they, I like the, the width of the line. Um, and then I do uh, gouache, um, watercolor, basically. Um, and then I clean it up and uh, scan it, clean it up in Photoshop, and sometimes I'll kind of play with the colors in Photoshop and sometimes add... So you scan after coloring in the gouache? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been thinking for a long time that uh, I should really learn how to use those tablets because um, when I 
do the art and then I scan it in. I feel like I spend a lot of time cleaning up just even like the grain of the paper shows up and it, there's, I feel like, you know, if I just did, we're doing it right into the computer, like there would be a, a lot of steps that would be eliminated. But, but I worry that it might lose, you know, a certain, you know, painterly look or something. And I think people have different views on it. There's the old school people and then there's the people who are very much into the um, modern technology. I do think that the ability to recreate paints is unbelievable, whether it's gouache or watercolor or what have you, oils. And there, there are, um, you know, uh, not fonts, but uh, pen, pen tips that you can use in different uh, programs that make it look as if it was mm-hmm. paint. It's unbelievable. I feel like I really need to, <laughs> to, to try this out. Yeah, because I, I feel like when I, when I, one thing that I wouldn't miss, like when I do the uh, water, the, the ink lines and then the watercolors, I feel like I scan it in and then it, it has like a little bit of a blotchy look. And I feel like, I mean, maybe that, maybe that gives it a nice homemade look or maybe it just, you know, it's a little bit of a detract, detraction. So I would be curious, you know, how it would look without that. Um, and I do feel like I spend a fair amount of time trying to sort of correct that to a certain degree. Um, so, yeah, I, I would really like to, to just try my hand at that. Although, um, like with the with Annalise books, the pages are, the pictures are so wide. I don't know if it, like, I, I think it would be confusing to me to, like, unless unless they have these, you know, giant 20 by 10 inch tablets. Um, you can. I mean, yeah. you can. The, the real heavy duty like Wacom Cintiqs, the largest one is a 27-inch, so yeah. and that would be something along those lines. But um, but let me, let me ask you this, because you're talking about on the loose books. To draw the cityscapes, are you sitting there and drawing as you're viewing it, or are you taking photos and then going back and using um, the reference? I, well, I do like to go to the city, and um, it's, so, like, it's so detailed that I feel like um, it helps me to, to be there to kind of like capture things that, um, I mean, I guess you could you obviously capture it in a photo, but my view is sort of panoramic. So I'll go, I'll go to the, I'll pick the scenes, um, and I'll go and I'll kind of walk around whatever location I want to get. And then I'll, I'll say like, okay, this Vista looks like it has an interesting variety of like things in the foreground and things in the background and something iconic that captures, you know, something about this particular city scene that I've chosen. Um, but, and then I'll also kind of I'll do a whole a whole large sketchbook page, filling it up with what I am looking at, and then I'll go to the nearest Kinkos and I'll Xerox it and I tape it to the side of a new page, and then I'll kind of like turn a little bit and do more. Um, and I just feel like I don't I don't feel like I would necessarily be able to figure out how to do that from just <laughs> photos. Um, although there there have been a few like Washington D.C. I found very challenging because. The types of pictures that I like to choose to do for these are kind of uh, vibrant neighborhoody type scenes. But when I did DC, I realized that the iconic things that I should have are like these giant monolithic buildings. Right, they're all white. <laughs> yeah, they're all white. They're all these complicated monolithic buildings, which is not kind of like what I like with my style so much. Um, and so I found myself totally overwhelmed, especially the, I got myself to DC and then the first picture I decided to do just because I was like, I know exactly how to get there was the Capitol building, which was a mistake because Capitol <laughs> building is like a wedding cake. It's so complicated. <coughs> and I stood there and, the, and and then of course the Capitol police 
I look really suspicious because I'm standing there with <laughs> staring at this was just after someone had tried to go in with explosives too. So they kept asking me like, Oh, how is it? You know, they, they were like have like fake chats with me. And, um, and I was too embarrassed. You know, I, was, I didn't want to say I'm doing this for a book because the picture was coming out so badly. <laughs> like, You're obviously lying. Nobody wants this picture. I started saying I was an artist. Rather than saying I'm here for a book, I'm just casing the joint to vomit. Right, that yeah, was your Just trying to figure out where all the entrances <laughs> and exits are. Trying to see who comes and goes at what time. And, um, yeah, and yeah, then, I got very acquainted with the capital. And then when you add the people in, is that just later on? You're just um, choosing the types of characters to add in for people, or you yeah, I just I, I just try to get the the landscape, and so I like I don't I pretty much leave out people. And in fact, when I was doing the Supreme Court, like a guy came up, and he was like. He was weirded out that I didn't like the that the picture like I had no people in it. He was like, you know, Hitler used to draw pictures and there would be no people in them. Like, Don't worry. That's a nice thing to say to a done, person. You know, right. <laughs> you, you meet a lot of people. <laughs> Interesting people. Um, yeah, no, then I go back and I just fill it with people and then, you know, hide animals in among them and um, you know, I, I sometimes I'll put people in or like, you know, try to make a note of like what kinds of people like encounter so that it can be the right people you would expect to, to see in that setting. Um, so, so far you've done Boston, Washington, Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, right? Philadelphia, and um, I've been working for a long time in, in New York. It's, it's too okay. soon, I don't know, if I'm hoping to <laughs> meet that deadline. <laughs> working on the, the uh, theater district picture. Yeah, and you wouldn't meet any crazy people there, I'm sure. <laughs> that, that, the... <laughs> I, I, um, Tell was on, I was on um, Fifth Avenue and um, Museum Mile, I was doing that, and the, and the Church of the Heavenly Rest, I was kind of standing right there, and it so happened that it, while I was there, a, a person who was uh, having some kind of psychotic episode tried to burn it down, and so I was standing in front drawing, and all, there's a cafe right there, and all of a sudden everyone came screaming, running out of the cafe, and the police went in and they brought this guy out, like handcuffed onto a stretcher. And he was kind of, um, I guess, I don't know what, I think he maybe was bipolar or something, but he, yeah, he had, he had um, set, tried to set it on fire and then gone and running into the cafe uh, trying to set that on fire or something. Um, Just so again, a good day that was, in New York. That was probably the most exciting <laughs> drawing experience I had. The people were most chatty. When I did Harlem, like people were were very chatty there, um, but a lot of places um, there's like New York, such a like anything goes. Like nobody really paid that much attention. Like right. in Greenwich Village, you're just like whatever, okay. Like, right. Oh. There's eight people lined up all drawing pictures of what's right. going on. Nobody pays attention. Are, are you going down multiple trips to different neighborhoods, or do you just spend like a block of time in New York and then do it all um, while you're there? I did multiple trips, going going to uh, uh, to visit in Boston, <laughs> making a trip to like a day trip to the city, or going on on route via the city, um, a bunch of times. And so I, so I got all those done, and then it was now it's just sort of like doing the rest of the stuff to the pictures. Um, yeah, but but when I did um, DC and Philadelphia, I did. I just went for a chunk of time and. Um, like luckily I had family or places that I just kind of stayed there and ran around the city and did pictures so uh, Philadelphia I had never really been to before and um, I liked it a lot it was uh, some tough neighborhoods in Philadelphia but it's a nice city and I felt very safe there and 
Oh, we're not allowed to say anything nice about Philadelphia this week, right? No, no, we are. We're good <laughs> sports. We're, like Giselle. She said sometimes the other team is going to win also, right? right? It's true. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed you, you pointed out right before the game, I think I saw on Instagram, you, you pointed out that you had both Boston and Philadelphia right. <laughs> on the loose books. For, right. Just doing a little marketing. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to do it where you can. Yeah. Any other cities in the future that you have lined up? Um, well, I, I would love to do... Um, Chicago, San Francisco, Louis, uh, New Orleans. Um, yeah, I'll keep doing them. <laughs> um, I have relatives in San Diego. Who, they have a good zoo there. So, um, so yeah. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll keep doing them for as long as some people are people are interested. And um, yeah, I mean, I love sort of getting to know the city, and uh, and then I just love having like a big project to work on. You know, like it's, it's a little overwhelming, <laughs> you know, the, just all the parts of it, getting it all done. But uh, I sort of like having a big project on my plate. All right, we're going to take just a very quick break, and uh, we're going to be back for the rest of our talk with Sage Stossel. Be right back. Okay, we're back uh, with Sage Stossel. We're going to finish up our, our talk talking a little bit about comic strips, uh, which is what we enjoy talking about here on Strip Search. Um, and Dave and I have a, a little uh, thing we like to do with our guests and, and each other where we talk about our Desert Island comic strips, the ones that, uh, you know, if you were uh, stuck on a desert island with one collection of comic strips for past, present, or future, I assume, uh, what, what would it be? So do you have one? Are you a comic strip aficionado uh, or more I mean, of a... Well, I, I grew up... I did enjoy, obviously, Peanuts growing up. Um, and if I, if I had to bring a collection to kind of pass a long period of time, it might be Calvin and Hobbes. Um, I, heard, I recently heard an um, interview on Terry Gross with the author of a graphic novel that had me intrigued. It was called... My favorite thing is monsters. It's like kind of like avant-garde, uh, creepy-sounding kind of um, graphic novel, which sounded kind of innovative in the way she did it. So, um, of course, graphic novels are a great quick read, so that may not. Pass right, you might have to bring a bunch. Yeah, you might have to bring a bunch. Unlike comic strips, which take you know a long time to get through. <laughs> Well, well, there's a pretty big collection. Okay, that's true. Yeah. I have the, the or Doonesbury. Yeah, I have the, oh, Doonesbury. Yeah. forty year book, but you can't pick it up. You literally, you know, you have to sort of lay it out in front of you on the table. It's so big and heavy. But uh, you know, that that would keep you busy for a while. Right after the nuclear bomb hits, <laughs> we can go back and pick through what happened by reading exactly Doonesbury yeah, and coming back to this place. The history of our culture. Mm-hmm. Hey, he picked Trump for president. I think thirty years ago. So. I know, so. <laughs> He did, he did. No, it's it's so interesting, you know, you talk about the graphic novels, there's so many different approaches now, and, and uh, one thing we've, we've talked to some of the other guests about it are these um, sort of the combination text and cartoon, you know, like Wimpy Kid mm-hmm. type books, which so many people have, you know, it's become this My nephew whole likes industry. Um, you know, it's just so, so many opportunities for cartooning, maybe as a result of the fact that newspapers aren't what they used to be almost by necessity people have had to find you know different things to do mm-hmm. and I think so maybe so many kids these days grew up with so much visual input that they there's an appetite for books that have you know a strong visual element to kind of keep them <laughs> pulling them through and, um, I, I can speak my kids love the uh the graphic novels and, and the books with pictures, yeah. Well, I know we had, I think it was Mark Parisi when we had him in, was saying they, the, 
the name for the audience is reluctant reader. That's an actual like sort of marketing term. They want the you know to get the kids who uh, you know otherwise might not be even picking up a book. But um, and I know that with my son who's sixteen now, uh, that was definitely the case with him. You know, he read all the Whippy Kids books and not much else. It's, it's a, hard to compete with video games or anything. Yeah. <laughs> or the internet, or any, you know, <laughs> anything these days, it, it is very hard. And as we, Dave and I, did a, a strip recently about how uh, they say with the time that teens spend on social media, they could be reading two hundred books a year. And uh, <laughs> when I tell that to my daughter. She looked up and said, "I have no regrets." <laughs> and I made this, which the was nice because we didn't have to, you know, write the strip. That way. Oh, there you go. <laughs> when you have a family resource yeah. to just yeah. get, get her to say content. more funny stuff that's I know. All. yeah that's the, <laughs> the, that's the, the benefit of doing a family strip I think they're they're <laughs> sick of me every time somebody says something halfway through the I go that's a strip <laughs> and actually we've gotten to the point where they'll say it to me too oh I think that was a strip so, uh, well, up their cleverness game yeah, fun yeah. mo <laughs> yeah, dinner you time you do what you gotta do to get those to get yeah. those punchlines alright um, well any anything you'd like to plug we like to. You guys seem to have a lot of things going on, and we're going to. Well, the, um, I would just say the graphic novel Starling um, is now on GoComics.com, serialized. Oh, um, so you can read the whole thing for free um, at GoComics.com/Starling. Um, so that's excellent, excellent. And we're going to have on our uh, website PetPeeves.com/podcast. Um, we'll have some links back to your work and. Uh, uh, you know, also some other information about how people can find um, all the all the interesting stuff that Sage has worked on over the years. And uh, just thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. Bye.